0: People who identify with BPD symptomology are often described as having no emotional skin. As human beings, our skin protects us. Without our skin, we'd be much more likely to contract diseases. Our skin is our first line of defense. For people with BPD, this idea of having no emotional skin means that we lack a buffer for intense emotions. This leaves us feeling raw and extremely sensitive to everything around us and within us. Something that other people might deem no big deal can completely throw us off kilter. It's like we're one big open wound. Everything hurts just that much more. Imagine how much the tiniest bump would hurt you if you had no skin. For people who identify with BPD, when something that someone else might perceive as a little sad happens, we're more likely to slip
1: into what to us feels like an all-consuming depression. When we experience what others may feel as a minor inconvenience, we might feel overwhelmed by anxiety-filled terror, a tiny mistake that another person might get over
0: in a matter of minutes could mean days of cringe spiraling and self-loathing for a person who identifies with BPD. On today's episode, you're going to learn all about big BPD emotions. By the end of this episode, you'll have a better understanding of yourself and if there's someone in your life that you love that you suspect may identify with BPD, you're going to understand them so much better. As someone who relates to BPD symptomology myself and has been through rock bottom moments with the symptoms of this disorder, I can tell you that better understanding myself and the concepts that we are going to go over today have meant that I no longer experience many of these symptoms to the severity that I used to. This podcast doesn't sell a magic cure. We don't talk about cure or remission or recovered on this podcast but what we do talk about is self-awareness and empowerment and the better you understand the way that your biotemperament works, the way that you react to and experience emotions, the better your experience of life will be. You'll no longer feel like you're completely out of control and that your feelings and your reactions to them destroy and run your life. So if you're interested in learning about this, stick through to the end of the episode and you will be so empowered, so much better informed to help yourself or someone you love. Let's get into it. Welcome to Back from the Borderline, the podcast that helps anyone who identifies with symptoms of BPD overcome their biggest obstacle, themselves. My name's Molly, and it's my mission to help you break free from your self-limiting beliefs and self-sabotaging behaviors so that you can more deeply connect with yourself, other people, and the present moment. Once you join me, you'll realize that anyone, including you, can come back from the borderline. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We're talking about big BPD feelings. They're big and they are feely sorry everyone I've had a lot of coffee this morning (laughs) but really though when we're talking about BPD how can we not talk about feelings because that is the core of what borderline personality disorder is it is feelings that are so big that they confuse and dismay many of us who identify with BPD and absolutely confuse and bring a lot of suffering on the people around us as well. We can't deny that. But one thing that I don't think is spoken about enough, and we are going to get into that in this podcast, and if you happen to be a loved one of someone who you are convinced has, quote unquote, has BPD, I guarantee you that you might be bringing yourself to this podcast because you have begun to lose your own mind because of the drama and fallout that ensues when dealing with someone who identifies with bpd and that's fair your experience is valid but what i don't think is spoken about enough and what i think that a lot of family members and loved ones of people who identify with bpd aren't exposed to is how it feels for the person with bpd people with borderline personality disorder especially in the media, are seen and portrayed as manipulative, devious, Machiavellian people who somehow get some kind of sick pleasure by seeing other people in pain. And this depiction makes me so sad and angry and disappointed because it couldn't be further from the truth. I'm not saying that there aren't people out there who enjoy bringing suffering on other people. I'm sure there are, but the people that I have met that identify with BPD symptomology are people who are full of shame and deep self-loathing and regret over the ways that their reactions to their emotions and the way that they choose to act on these big feelings the fallout that it creates in their lives, the pain that it brings upon their loved ones and themselves and the people around them. They don't want to live their life this way. I remember so very clearly the times where I had an explosive emotional reaction that created a fight with the person that I love, whether that be my family, my friends, or my partner, and I would walk away and in the Darkness and quiet of my own room and my own mind, I would sob and feel so ashamed and alone and wonder why I had to be this way. And this is how so many people out there who identify with BPD feel. They don't just go up into their room and rub their fingers together like an evil genius, thinking, Yay, great, this is, I, I just love bringing anguish and suffering upon myself and the people around me. That's not how it is. But I also don't want to diminish the very real suffering that our friends and family and the people that love us go through as well. It can be so maddening and confusing for the people in our lives to understand our feelings. And that's why I want to do this episode. What has actually brought an immense amount of healing into my life is finally with my current partner, Zaz, who if you're a long-term listener of this podcast, I talk about Zaz all the time. He's been a guest on the podcast. I've finally been able to develop and maintain a long-term, stable, loving relationship after many, many failed attempts in my life. And it is all because of the things I'm going to share with you today. It is because I asked Zaz to sit down and learn about BPD, but I took the reins. Zaz came to me and in a very brave way a couple of years ago, told me that he felt emotionally abused by me. And old Molly would have freaked out and... It would have turned into a horrible interaction, but instead something within me asked me to pause and asked me to check in with myself and say, is this true? Could I be being emotionally abusive? And when I really looked at myself, I thought my behavior was something that needed to change. Zaz expressed to me that he felt scared to tell me how he really felt because my reactions were so explosive and unpredictable. And in that moment, I decided I wanted to become someone that the people in my life and the people I love could count on, that they could come to and talk to about anything, that they could share their feelings with me and know that they were safe with me, that they could know that I will listen to their feelings and react in a calm and collected manner. And that's what started this entire podcast was that moment was Zaz coming to me and bravely expressing that he felt emotionally abused by me. And since that conversation, Zaz and I have to work every single day on our relationship. I have to be the one as the person who identifies with BPD to check in with my big emotions, go within myself and put some space between my emotions and my reactions it's up to me
1: to lead the charge of change but as i have opened up vulnerably to zaz and shared with him what goes on within me he starts to take these emotional outbursts when they do happen and they still do (laughs) he starts to take them less personally i can take accountability walk away and then when we're calm we can come back together and discuss it people that are fans of this podcast have told me that listening to episodes just like this one with their partner has brought profound healing. So if you're a loved one of a person who identifies with BPD, this is a great thing you could listen to with them. If you're someone with BPD, maybe ask if your partner or the person you love in your life could, you can grab some coffee and say, will you listen to this podcast episode with me? I really think it will help you understand me and how I work better. And then afterwards, you can sit and talk. It's a great way to open up the conversation. To start things off, if you are a long-term
0: listener of the podcast, you know how much I love Reddit. And I love Reddit because it's a way that I can do really good research on how people with BPD or identify with BPD symptomology Really feel because they go and pour their hearts out on different subreddits. There are subreddits for people who identify with BPD, like RBPD, but then there are other subreddits that are called RBPD loved ones. And these are specifically for people who love people with BPD, supposedly. Some of them certainly don't sound like it on these subreddits, but I try when I read some of these comments on specifically the BPD Loved Ones subreddit, I really try to put myself in their shoes because some of these people are at the end of their rope and they're really, really stressed out and feel like they have run out of resources to deal with someone in their life. So I came across this post on the BPD Loved Ones subreddit and it says, why do so many people with BPD think they can feel emotions more strongly than people without BPD?" do any of you believe they actually do? I don't at all. Let's unpack this a little bit. I think that there's a lot going on with this comment. This person says, why do some so many people with BPD think they feel emotions more strongly than people without BPD? Well, because they actually do. (laughs) There's a thing called biotemperament and I highly recommend that you go and listen to my episode with Dr. Anita Federici. If you want to find that, you just need to search back from the borderline, Anita Federici in whatever podcatcher app. But Anita really helped me understand the concept of biotemperament. As human beings, we fall on a spectrum of biotemperament. At one end of the spectrum
1: is emotionally under and at the other end, there is emotionally over-controlled. Emotionally under-controlled is often abbreviated as UC and over-controlled
0: is abbreviated as OC. People that identify with classic
1: BPD symptomology like myself are often emotionally under-controlled. It means that biotemperamentally they are more impulsive. They feel things more deeply. It is proven that people are sometimes more highly sensitive to emotions than others on the opposite end of the spectrum we have emotionally overcontrolled individuals someone who would be emotionally overcontrolled would probably be a heart surgeon and you would want your heart surgeon to be emotionally overcontrolled but on this other end of the spectrum when you have too much self control it can become maladaptive in other words it can really start to harm your life just with anything else, there can always be too much of a good thing. Being emotionally under controlled, I have a lot of strengths. People with BPD who are emotionally under controlled, they can be highly creative. They can find it very easy to open up to other people and connect. This is why I love my podcast so much. Because I'm so in touch with my emotions, I can really really deeply connect with my listeners i'm fine with opening up and sharing anything about my life and as long as i'm actively pursuing recovery and i'm putting in practice skills i can use this emotional under control as a strength as a superpower but just with anything else there can be too much of a good thing so if we get too far down on the spectrum of emotional under control We can be very impulsive. We can let our emotions really take over. And as you can understand, that's what we're talking about on this podcast. If you get too far on the extreme of self-control, you can shut down. You can be OCD. You can really, really start hyper-controlling too much in your life to the point where it makes it impossible for you to connect with yourself and others. So I encourage you to think about this emotional control spectrum like a speedometer on a car. I'm not very great with cars, so let's just don't don't uh, get too picky with my automobile analogies here. But if we're thinking about over control as the top speed on the speedometer and under control at the bottom, we really wanna find ourselves somewhere in the middle. We need a healthy amount of self-control and a healthy amount of under control too because we wanna be able to open up to other people and have the freedom to be creative and not be too constricted and controlling so when this person on bpd loved ones says why do so many people with bpd think they can feel emotions more strongly than people without pd bpd it's because they actually do and i think a lot of the people that post on these subreddits of bpd loved ones they are also being very closed-minded And it makes it really hard to understand someone when we have these stigmatized and skewed views. It is possible for someone to feel emotions more strongly and deeply than other people. And this person is already cutting themselves off from understanding this person in their life with BPD. I can understand probably if this person's posting on this subreddit, they're in a really stressful time and they've just been told in their life by someone with BPD potentially, like I just feel my emotions more strongly. And this person is saying, nope, that's not possible. Well, I'm here to tell you and this person, I wish I could speak directly to them, that it is possible. Now let's read a couple of the comments on this thread. Someone commented back to this poster and said, I don't think they feel them more, and they being people with BPD, but they react to them more and express them more. To me, it seems like they can't control them. Case in point, when my wife was driving, if another driver cuts her off or comes too close, she'll curse out loud, maybe even scream with terror, honk the horn, and talk about it angrily for a few minutes. When I'm in the same situation, I will at most curse out loud and then i'll just get back to driving because i know that driving is essentially a dangerous thing and it requires my attention not anger and thirst for revenge to my wife this seems like a superpower how can you be so calm after that i may have an initially strong panic reaction just like she does but in a fraction of a second i've put that aside because something more important like driving is happening to her it seems nothing is more important than her emotions and she lets them drive her behavior now, I think this commenter displays a much more nuanced and interesting perspective of BPD. I relate to this so much because this is me and Zaz to a T. Zaz certainly is more on the over-controlled side of the emotional spectrum. Zaz takes a lot longer to open up to people, and he's not maladaptively over-controlled. Like he doesn't have fully fledged, fully fledged OCD. But Zaz has expressed in the past that he can slip into unhealthy forms of over control. He has had disordered eating in the past. He has had um, OCD type behaviors. But he's in a really healthy space and Zaz is very calm in situations. I think that I can count on three fingers on one hand how many times I've seen Zaz lose his cool. And I think of all of those times has been when me and him are in an argument and I'm kind of pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing him. And I think people with BPD, I'm going to drop a Mean Girls reference right now. So I'm really hoping you guys will appreciate this out there. Tina Fey in Mean Girls says, I'm a pusher. I'm a pusher, Katie. I'm a pusher. People with BPD, we are a pusher. We will often push, push, push the buttons and I in my life have been able to get some really explosive angry reactions out of even some of the most calm cool and collected people it's not something at all that I'm proud of but going back to our reference here Zaz is someone who absolutely can get annoyed by something but he doesn't display it he doesn't let it overtake what he's trying to do and I love what this commenter is describing of saying driving is a dangerous task we have to focus on driving. Zaz can immediately feel his emotional response to something and want to be pissed off but go, nope, driving is the most important thing right now. What is my what is my desired outcome? And this is what I want to talk about in this episode with people with BPD. For me, I relate to the this man's ex-wife where if I'm in a car, I will often really let my emotions get so out of control that I'll forget the, the project or, or item or task at hand. And what I want us to do as people with BPD is to understand that we are more likely to pop off emotionally, but it is so important for us to understand that about ourselves, be aware of it, because when it starts to happen, we can feel it in our bodies and we can go, oh, I'm about to lose my cool. I'm going to try right now my desired outcome in this situation, this example with this man, my desired outcome is driving. This is a dangerous task. I need to focus on this now. I acknowledge that my emotions are dysregulated, I gotta get back to the task. The last comment I'll read from this particular thread is a commenter that responded and said, I believe they do, as in they do believe that people with BPD can experience emotions more strongly. This commenter goes on to say, it looks like an intensely painful way to live. I just don't believe it's an excuse for abusing others. And I also believe it's highly self-centered and narcissistic in nature. I also hope a cure, a way to correct the personality permanently is found, yet I wonder how many aren't willing to give up the highs and the victim complex who say there's nothing wrong with them, they're just not neurotypical and will shun any long-term effective treatment. (sighs) Deep sigh. So this comment started out really great and I was rooting for them, but let's unpack what they're saying. So they start by saying I believe they do, experience emotions more strongly it looks like an intensely painful way to live that's where this comment that's where the the accuracy of this comment ends it is an intensely painful way to live and we do experience feelings more strongly now they go on to say i just don't believe it's an excuse for abusing others i agree with this and i think this is something as people who identify with bpd if we really want to make an an honest effort at taking control back of our lives and experiencing a life worth living and get ourselves out of some of these deepest rock-bottom moments we do have to face head-on that a lot of our behaviors in the past have probably been abusive. But the key here is not to spin out and feel like there is something deeply wrong with you, stick with the shame. If I just constantly went back and back and back in my life at all of the things that I'd done wrong, We can't proceed we can't move forward so it's up to the loved ones of people with BPD to be willing to put the past in the past and not keep bringing up things that they've done to re-shame and re-stigmatize them but it's also up to the person with BPD to really own and acknowledge and apologize in depth and honestly from the bottom of their hearts for the way that they've made the people in their lives feel and take accountability and really walk the walk and show moving forward that you are going to try to become more self aware and get a handle on these things. So, this commenter said, I believe it's highly self centered and narcissistic in nature. I do agree to a certain extent that it is highly self centered. I've talked in the past on this podcast about how before I was self-aware, before I started this journey of sharing my life in this podcast, I lived my life like it was the Molly show. And I didn't do this on purpose. It's just, I felt so focused on my own experience and my own emotions and how everything was against me. I felt like the world was against me that I couldn't zoom out and see a higher perspective. So I do think it's also important that as people who identify with BPD, we really recognize how self-centered we've been in the past, but not shame ourselves for it. Being self-centered and feeling like we are the main character of the entire world is something so many people do, not just people with BPD. And most people never escape that way of thinking. I was on the right track to not feel that way one of the hardest things that Zaz said to me in my recovery was Molly I love you so much and if you keep down this path you're going to become a bitter angry old woman who's complaining about the same things do you want that to be your future do you want to be that bitter person who's just complaining and complaining And I was like, no, I do not want that to be my reality. We need people in our lives to give us the tough love. And that's what this podcast is here to do for you, person who identifies with BPD. I'm here to give you the tough love. So this person goes on to say in this comment, I hope a cure, a way to correct the personality is permanently found. What in the world? Let's unpack that. There is no way to cure BPD because in order to cure something it needs to be a scientifically proven disease something that you could go to the doctor and get a blood test and say yes you have it no we can't look at psychological suffering or emotional distress or mental anguish in the form of this medicalized cure model this person says there they hope that there's a way to correct the personality permanently what does that even mean? What does a corrected personality look like? That's subjective. This person seems to wish that they could change a person in the way that they want them to be changed. That's not how we move in relation to other people. There is no cure. There is no way to correct a personality because that insinuates that personalities can be incorrect or disordered. And that's just not true. But what is true and what can happen is is that we can become too far on the speedometer of undercontrolled or too far on the other extreme of overcontrolled. And we wanna bring ourselves somewhere closer to the middle. There is no way to correct someone's personality. If you're listening to this and you see comments like this, these are people that are commenting that don't have an understanding. They don't have a nuanced understanding of mental health. And we have to give them a little bit of compassion too and not let these comments get to us. Because there is so much bad information out there when it comes to personality and mental health and some of it comes directly from the top. So just understand that you need to know that stuff like this, a cure or correcting your personality, you don't need to do that. You just need to become more self-aware. So this person goes on to say, yet I wonder how many people with BPD just aren't willing to give up the highs and the victim complex who say there's nothing wrong with them. They're just not neurotypical and they will shun any long-term effective treatment. I see this type of discourse so often online and it's really disappointing to me. Saying that like people with BPD just love the highs, they love having this victim complex. It's not true at all. It's a really painful way to live and But I wanna address a couple of things here that I think are correct to a certain extent, is that people with BPD have a bit of a victim complex, for sure. I will say that's true. But I also think a lot of people have a bit of a victim complex. But if we're just talking about people with BPD here and I'm talking about my own lived experience, I certainly lived my life thinking that everything was kind of done to me. And as people who identify with BPD, the more that we can kind of start zooming out, as I described before, And realize that people aren't doing things to us because of us. People are just out there living this messy life the best way that they can. Our partners aren't reacting to things to personally hurt us. Our bosses at work aren't doing this because they have a personal vendetta against us. It's just because people are doing the best with what they have. And if you can learn how to give people the benefit of the doubt more, give people the compassion that you wish that you received from them, as someone who identifies with BPD, your life is going to be a lot smoother. The last thing that I want to touch on from this person's comment is that they mention that people with BPD are saying like, well, I'm just not neurotypical. That is something that I do think that we do too often as people with BPD or identify with the symptomology. You see a lot, especially in the younger generation, is this word neurotypical like I'm neurodivergent I'm just not normal and so therefore I need to have special privileges and excuses and while that's true there are neurodivergencies out there I don't think that we should lean on this too heavily to excuse behavior that could be abusive and could lead people to be in pain
0: so to understand big BPD emotions we have to talk about something called emotional permanence. So on our last episode we talked about the idea of object permanence and object permanence is a term used to describe a stage of childhood development where children develop the ability to recognize things that continue to exist after they go away. Think about a game of peekaboo with children right? when you play peekaboo with a child, they're actually surprised every single time your face or the object you're playing with them <laughs> reappears because to them, in that infantile stage of development, you actually stop existing when you're no longer visible. The child literally doesn't think that it's there anymore and when it reappears, it actually feels like magic to them. Children at this age, they lack object permanence. So people with BPD often experience the emotional equivalent
1: of this which is called emotional permanence and I can only ever describe my experience with this symptom but other people who identify with BPD that I've talked to share similar experiences. I found this post on
0: tumblr and it really describes emotional permanence really well. This person's tumblr is called rainbow attack. And they say, here's a thought exercise for non-borderline people. Think about someone you love who loves you back who isn't with you right now. Think about how they feel about you. Think about how nice and safe it feels to know that you are loved. I bet you probably have a warm, glowy feeling when you think about that. That must be nice, I wouldn't know. I have a general understanding of what this is like because I read a lot and others have described it to me. It feels really, really lovely. I envy people that experience it. When I try to think about how other people feel about me, when they're not actively right there telling me how they feel about me, I tend to draw a blank. I literally can't experience that emotional recall. It stops existing in a substantial, intractable way. It's not real to me. It turns to static or maybe ashes, like when something is burned up but the shape of it is left in ash, but at the moment you touch it, it just blows away in the wind. There was clearly something there. I know what it was, but I can't interact with it. It's like having a folder on your computer labeled other people's feelings for me. I can see that there's a folder there. I know what should be in that folder. When I go to click on that folder, there are files in it for all my relationships. I can see the files are there. I can see that they exist. But for me, when I go to open the file, it's been corrupted. It's gibberish. It's just strings of numbers and letters. I can't read it. I know there should be something in there. I know what the contents should be. But when that person is there, it's almost like they have the ability to unscramble the file or to restore it, I guess. I can read it, I can feel it, and it feels real to me. I can open it, interact with it. But when they leave, like literally, when they're not right there with me, the file goes back to gibberish. This means that when I'm with someone, I get to experience an understanding and belief that the other person loves me and likes me and wants to be with me. Those things feel real but when the other person isn't there, I lose my ability to understand that as real. I can try to convince myself that it's real. They just told me they love me or like me one hour ago. Feelings don't change that quickly, I might say to myself, but in response, my brain just fires back with that internet dial-up noise and error messages, or maybe with a sounds-fake, blocked meme. I might take a few days or a day or an hour, but eventually my ability to conceive of other people's positive
1: feelings for me disappears completely. It just drains away. I don't get to hold on to it."
0: Another metaphor I use sometimes is that it's like having items in a video game that you can't currently equip. Like it's in your inventory, but for whatever reason it just kind of gets grayed out and you can't even select it. And everyone's like, why don't you just use your battle axe? I gave you that battle axe so you could use it for this. And I'm just like, uh, I can't use it. I just can't. Like I can't even get to it. I tried to touch it and it's not there. And then they get mad because they think that I don't like their ax or that I am ignoring their ax or that I'm being willful and stubborn and just choosing to not use their ax. But I literally can't equip
1: your ax of friendship, love, my dude. My brain stats are too low and I just can't equip it unless you're here. And then when they are there, I can finally equip it and they're like, see, you can use that ax. I knew it. Why do you lie so much and make such a big deal out of everything? I love this example
0: so much because we all know if you're a long-term listener of the podcast that I love me some nerdy stuff and this person sounds like such a nerd and I love nerds. I myself am a nerd. I love researching. I'm a big video game person. So I love this nerdy explanation of emotional permanence and it is so accurate. You can feel it.
1: People with bpd symptomology really struggle to know that people love us when they're gone which is why so many of us send maybe long huge paragraphs of text or freak out when we don't get a text back right away it's a really freaky feeling to feel like you know someone loves you but you still have this panic feeling and you need them to kind of tell you you need them to show you so often i get this feeling of if Zaz isn't around, like, do you, does he even love me anymore? Does he give me enough affection? It's this very panicky, clinging feeling. And you might be wondering at this point, yes, I understand this. This is exactly how I feel. How do I tackle this? One of the most helpful things that I've read in terms of combating this lack of emotional permanence is using your notes feature in your phone, for example, on my iPhone. And every time your favorite person in the world says something really nice to you or that they love you write it down with the date and time in your iphone notes every time write it down write it down when they do something nice for you say something beautiful to you and when they're gone and you feel this panicky feeling and you want to text them go back to that note and read all of those nice things It is going to give you that warm, glowy feeling, just like they're right there. And then you can really make a decision. And I say, for people with BPD, the most powerful thing you can do is start learning to create some space between these big feelings and your reaction. And when we send a panicky, clinging text to someone we love or say, you never say you love me or you never do anything nice, like calling out the deficiencies of the people in our life, we are... Achieving the exact opposite of our desired outcome. Your desired outcome as someone with BPD is connection. To be loved, to be seen, to be heard. And when we act in these ways, and when we cling, and when we are claustrophobic to people we love, or we demand things from them, or we say, you never, you always, you should, it achieves the exact opposite outcome. Disconnection. The people in our lives will literally want to pull away from us and if you put yourself in their shoes how could they not right and so we're convinced in our minds as people with bpd that there's something wrong with us and that one day everyone will leave us and our actions very often create this self-fulfilling prophecy so
0: by creating these notes in your iphone you are going to make it more possible for you to jump in and self-soothe yourself before you do something you will likely regret, which is something like sending a 20 paragraph long text about how your partner never responds to you or something like that. I'm just throwing it out there. That's definitely something that I would have done in the past. With tools like this, with learning to put some space between my big feelings and my reactions. I'm now more deeply connected to the people around me I'm less likely to pop off emotionally and say something that makes me drop into one of those cringe spirals and if I do I can then quickly take accountability with the person I love and say hey I was having a really big feeling and I acted before I really gave myself some time to think about it I love you so much and next time I'm going to do a better job at self-soothing before I lash out at you. Something like that. So I'm going to leave it at that for now. I think that that's enough material. And I'm going to break this up into two episodes. So next episode, we will be diving into part two of Big BPD Emotions. But for now, I'm going to wrap this one up with a listener question and this week's question comes from
1: Lydia.
2: Hi Molly, my name is Lydia. I am 22 years old and I'm calling from Dade City, Florida. Um, my question to you is I've been recently diagnosed with borderline personality disorder um, and I've gotten a lot of help and resources from books, from your podcasts, um, but I haven't found a lot of resources or tools about how lying becomes a big issue for us not malicious lying but just easily things that we could be honest about but just aren't for some reason and i know i've looked up why we do it but i don't know how to stop and i haven't found a lot of resources on how to stop so i'm not sure if you could give me any advice or anything like that or have any resources you could offer i really love your podcast and i'm really hoping that you can maybe help answer this question for me
0: thanks hi lydia Thank you so much for this question. I am like pressing the hard relate button so much on this. My entire life I struggled with lying a lot and it was like compulsive lying. It started off when I was really little. I remember getting into trouble with lying a lot when I was young and it would sometimes be small things. Like if my dad asked me, did I brush my teeth? I would say, yep, I did. And then he would go feel my toothbrush and it would be dry and I would get in trouble for lying. And then as I got older, I started getting in trouble at school, in elementary school for telling like these really intricate tales to people at school. Um, I remember convincing a childhood friend that I had a horse in my actual shed at my house and I drug that lie on for so long that then it like caused a bunch of problems in my life and then it got more problematic a couple of times in elementary school I remember lying that this boy was bullying me to my parents and I weaved this really intricate tale and then eventually I was caught out because my parents wanted to go to the school and meet with this kid's parents and I eventually had to admit that I'd been making the whole thing up then if I go further and further into my life I certainly lied to partners you know I was emotionally unfaithful in quite a few of my relationships when I was in my most insecure and unselfaware moments and I'm saying all of this to you Lydia because I can relate and i don't think that people that identify with bpd lie out of a malicious way and i'm hearing that in your voice right you're admitting you know that this is a problem for you but you can't stop which means that it's like this compulsive need and what helped me is really writing down like the things i'm lying about and trying to uncover what's underneath that and for me What was underneath my lying was wanting to be loved, wanting people to like me, wanting people to approve of me and not shun me or be mad at me. And so I would lie, but what I'm sure you understand is that and your own life and many of you that are listening is the truth always seems to come out. And when you've lied, it's 10 mazillion bazillion quadrillion times worse when the truth comes out. So you asked about what are some resources that you can use? Well, so many of us with BPD, I think we go out and be like, how to stop lying? <laughs> and you'll find a lot of stuff, I'm sure, if you make that search. But what's been more helpful for me, as I mentioned before, is finding out what's underneath that. What's underneath it is a deep desire to be liked, is an addiction to approval and validation, and a desperate need to feel accepted. And what's often underneath that is a lack of love and acceptance for ourselves. And it's likely that you don't love or accept yourself very much if you're anything like me when I was in the really deep phases of lying a lot. I was convinced that who I was just as I was wasn't enough. I felt like if I stated my needs or asserted myself uh, that people would reject me. But this is just one of those paranoid things that we start thinking in our mind. It's likely that if you just start speaking your mind, speaking your truth, and saying the truth, (laughs) that your life is going to be a lot more calm and peaceful. Lies build upon lies build upon lies, and that leads to a really chaotic life. You asked for resources, and I recommended this book in the last episode, but I'm going to recommend it again because of your question, and it's a book called The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck. Martha Beck talks in this book about what really changed her life, and she made a pact with herself to not lie for an entire year, and she said that she didn't lie about anything, and when you agree to not lie she describes that how hard this was right to not lie and she said that she realized how often all of us lie about little tiny things little things right and when she chose to not tell a single lie for an entire year she said that basically all of her psychological suffering went away Martha Beck really believes that the majority of our psychological distress, our emotional, mental health symptoms, come from living out of integrity. And I encourage you to get that book. I also did a whole episode on integrity and self-inquiry that i'll link in the episode description so i highly recommend that you listen to those episodes after this one if this is something that interests you but also to read and buy martha beck's book and subscribe to her podcast her podcast is called the gathering pod so that's my recommendation to you lydia for the lying question really make a pact with yourself or a challenge to take the challenge that Martha Beck did, where you won't lie about a single thing for a certain period of time. Find out what's underneath your lie. Is it this addiction to approval and validation? Is it really coming from a place of wanting to be liked and loved? Because that's likely an indication that you need to really be giving yourself some of this love. And maybe write down some of the lies that you've told and the fallout that that's had in your life. Writing things down for me is really powerful because sometimes seeing it all laid out, it gives you that holy S-H-I-T moment where you're like, oh my God, my life has actually been destroyed by the amount of lies that I've been telling. So that's it for today. Thank you, Lydia, for submitting that question. If you want to hear your voice and question on the podcast, you can go to backfromtheborderline.com and do that there. I will be continuing this conversation in the next episode about big BPD feelings. A little bit of a background, I just had to re-record big BPD feelings like five times just now because it's a unexpected tongue twister. Try saying big BPD feelings 10 times fast. So we'll be continuing the discussion on that next week. Click into the episode description of this podcast episode because I'm going to be linking some resources and goodies for you that will help you unravel and unpack your Big BPD feelings and continue the learning from here. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to include, but I'm going to go on my little research Molly mode after this and include some really juicy resources for you. So make sure that you don't forget to click into the episode description so that you can find those also something that I've learned that if you're listening on Google podcasts, you won't be able to click into the links that I include in my episode descriptions. So if you find that you can't access those links, you just need to download a different podcasting app. And there are tons and tons and tons of different podcast apps out there. So just search for on Google, podcatchers, podcast apps, and find a different podcast app and download it. And then you'll be able to access all of my goodies that way. So with that, I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. And remember that anyone, even you, can come back from the borderline.